at 18 years old, Vietnam War is going on. I'm the only person I know who got three induction orders from a selective service. It was greetings, show up at 6 a.m. in a certain spot. And I'm thinking, can I do this? Because at that point, boot camp, I was told by friends who'd been through it, that to get your meal in the chow hall in the evening, you have to come in and scream, kill, kill, kill. Well, what's up, everybody? We're here with Dr. Gary, the man, the myth, the legend. One oh, of the on. lead. You're the. Are you one of the most leading? That's what they say about dead people. Well, you're the living legend. Oh yeah. Yeah, un, un, but can we talk for a second about how you had cancer this year and it did not slow you down a bit? Well, it kind of did. There, you may remember that time you were in class with me and. Uh, the side effects from the immunotherapy kicked in and whenever I'd stand up, I would fall forward and look at the floor. No, this is what I remember. I remember you teaching one class via Zoom from a hospital bed. That just too. had that. I remember one time the effects were, you had to tape your eyelids. Yeah. Yeah. You're a savage. I had myasthenia syndrome, Gary. muscle weakness. That's why my head fell forward and I literally tightened my eyelids open because they wouldn't stay open otherwise. Yeah. And that was like that for about six weeks. There's and 30 of us, I think, in your class, and we all felt like less of a man <laughs> after you showing us how to persevere. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're never phoning in ever again after seeing a man of God just say, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm going to do it, even yeah. if I have to tape my eyelids open. <laughs> well, I, hey, I want to promote do. your book. Yeah. I want to promote your book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this book, phenomenal for those of you. Uh, it's the 10-year anniversary or 10-year limited edition revised version. I've read every book Pastor Gary's written, and I got to tell you, to, 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 for you to go through and, and to update that is a gift to the body of Christ. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's, it's not generally available yet, but it will be. Uh, publication issues, getting stuff, supply chain, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, post-COVID, was all sorts of oh, things going fun. on. Yeah. Hey, we have a lot of questions that have come in if you're new to the podcast. We believe that God never intended faith to be complicated. He, want, he wants to guide your life and help your life. And sometimes our life is complicated. Yes, I'm going to say, <laughs> life could get really messy. Um, but doesn't Jesus show us how uncomplicated God is? Yep. And so uh, there's questions that have come in that are pretty complex, though, that are, are mm -hmm. theologically rich. And so I, I said, what would it look like for Dr. Gary to fly in from Portland and spend some time with us? So this is our second episode that we're recording here. And uh, we have those questions in a pile here. Let's get to the first one. Let's go with this one. Can Christians join the military? Who would be asking a question like this? <laughs> I, well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Right. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek so I can slap you on the left cheek. Right. Uh, and he made those very, very, very strong statements. And that, what we call a non-retaliatory ethic in other words, if somebody strikes you, do not strike back, has obvious issues if you're in the military. Because, you know, I think of what's going on right now. Uh, I've taught in Ukraine a number of times, Odessa, and uh, the Russians are invading Ukraine right now. And you've taught in Ukraine? I've taught in Odessa, oh, a dozen times probably. I've got current friends. Uh, so this is not a news item for me. Right. It's very personal. Nobody that I know personally has been killed in this thing, but it, lives have been disrupted by mm. it. And so the question is, can somebody who in Jesus says, 
turn the other cheek. When somebody slaps you in the right cheek, turn the other cheek. If somebody takes your cloak, give them your shirt as well. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Can I join the military, which is specifically there to strike back at the person who strikes me? Mm. So right now the Ukrainian army is striking back against the Russian army that invaded the Ukraine. As a Christian, can I join that and still be faithful to the word of Jesus, turn the other cheek? It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very real and complex question, but the answer, I think, is not that complicated. So when we talk about Christians, we mean, um, we mean billions of people that are going to disagree or agree on yes. a million different things. Yes. Some would say there's the close-handed issues, and mm-hmm. some would say the open-handed issues. Yep. Close-handed issues would probably be that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yep. The Bible is yep. true, the Word yep. of God, right? Open-handed issues may be other things about... Uh, I don't know. There's there's a million little things. Would you say this things. is one of the open-handed issues, or would you no, would you put this? No, as- there are some things that are very clear. Okay. Uh, the thing when I look at Scripture, Jesus does say in so many words, if somebody strikes you in the right cheek, turn your left cheek. You know, non-retaliatory ethic. He says, forgive your enemies. He says, love your neighbor and love your enemy. Those are not. I mean, those are difficult things to do. And I think that's a clear teaching in Scripture that many Christians just simply ignore. Right. You know, I'm insulted. Let me show you what an insult looks like. And so there is a retaliatory ethic because you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Right. Kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about is when somebody strikes you, give, do good back to them. Mm. So one of my life verses uh, is Romans 12, 21. And that's uh, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, that makes no sense. He's been evil to me. Let me show what evil looks like. Right. Uh, so at a personal level, I think a non-retaliatory ethic is a command of Jesus. Mm. But it's not the only command. Now, I'm talking at a personal level at this point. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking here about army. The other thing I've got is a command of Scripture all the way through is protect the weak. Correct. Protect the vulnerable. And I'm called as a man of power to use the power that I have to protect children who are being abused uh, and I've got to honor both of those commands non-retaliatory ethic and protect the weak and if I'm in a spot where as a pastor I'm running into and this is a real situation in my church right now we've got a situation it's a very difficult divorce situation and the man's already served jail time and he is a he's He's a dangerous man, frankly. Mm. We've got restraining orders, that kind of stuff, and there is real danger for his kids mm. because of what's going on. We are commanded by Jesus to do what we can to protect those kids. Right. And so we don't forgive him and just say, hey, sure, go ahead and hurt those kids. It's fine with us because we want to forgive you. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, if he's repenting and say, help me so I learn how not to hurt my kids, we're all over it. But when he's a danger to the kids, we're going to protect those kids. 100%. And see, that's where you get a complex, because if you only need one of those things, this is why it's simpler than it first appears, non-retaliatory ethic, if this guy is threatening me, I'm not going to go out and thump him with a baseball bat. Right. But if he's threatening a kid, I may go thump him with a baseball bat. And you see both in the teachings. They're both there. Yeah. And what happens is people take one command and ignore the of other course. command. And it puts us in very, you mean you're, you're going to let somebody kill your kid? No, no, because there, there are more than one command. Right. 
So uh, that personal ethic is to love my enemy, overcome evil with good. And that we need to learn because we as Americans generally don't do that. Uh, and there's a, but that's, I'm just thinking what I want to say here. It's, I mean, what, I think what you're saying is, is where's the most practical application? Right. And that would be on a personal level. Yep. Now in military, uh, this is another level of things uh, because Jesus' statement, I'll turn the other cheek, is not a national ethic. It's a personal ethic. Right. And he, uh, when we look at First Peter, which I've got open here in front of me, it says in verse 13, First Peter 2.13, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor is supreme authority or governors and so on. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Mm. That's a very strong statement. Romans 13 says the same thing, doesn't it? It very similar thing. Paul says the same thing. But at the same time, Peter, when he was commanded by the government, stop preaching Jesus, he said, no way. No way. And see, that's the thing. He's a command to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord. The government said no, because at that point, it's will I obey the emperor or will I obey God? And it's a clear command of God. It's not what I want God to say. It's what he actually said. So he said, okay, I'm going to preach Jesus. You kill me? Okay, I'll accept that. What he, but he's not rebelling. He's not saying, you kill me, I'll kill you kind of thing. He's saying, you have a right to kill me, but I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus. Right. And that's where you get some complications. It's, I mean, it seems simple to me. It doesn't seem complicated to me. I mean, if you're going to violate what God says, you can't right. do that. Well, now here's the thing. And uh, I... This is very real for me. At 18 years old, Vietnam War is going on. Uh, I'm the only person I know who got three induction orders from a selective service. What does that mean? Like a draft? Yeah. Wow. I got drafted three times. Wow. And it was greetings, show up at 6 a.m. in a certain spot because we're inducting you, inducting you into the armed forces. And in most cases, that meant head off to Vietnam. So you're, you're 18 years old. 18 what was your faith at that time? Uh, at that point, I was, I'd come back to Christ and was a committed Jesus follower. Uh, and I'm thinking, hmm. can I do this? Hmm. Uh, and very real, because at that point, in, I don't know what they do these days, but at that point, boot camp, which is where you start your training, right. uh, I was told by friends who'd been through it, that to get your meal in the chow hall in the evening, you have to come in and scream, kill, kill, kill because they're trying to get people who are going to go out and shoot other humans. Mm. And I'm thinking, you know, I could never do that. Mm. If I killed another human being as a part of the military, I would see that as a sin, but not the worst sin, perhaps. Interesting. See, and, f and I'm speaking for myself at this point. And that was a real issue. Can I, because I, I would not have done that. I mean, I don't know. I never had to do it. I ended up not going in the military. I did my three years of service in Southeast Asia as a missionary in the Philippines, not military in Vietnam. Uh, but that was a real issue for me. Mm. Could I fake, kill, 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 you know, this violent, I'm going to kill him, right. it gets in my way kind of attitude that they're requiring to get your evening meal just to keep winchy, wimpy kids to become warriors and mm -hmm. go to Vietnam and, mm -hmm. and actually do what armies are supposed to do. Indoctrinate, train. Yeah. And... I'd, it was a real problem because I could not have that violent attitude that takes glory in killing another person. Right. That's militarism. And they're trying to get a militaristic attitude in the soldiers, which I understand. I, I 
think, uh, not Vietnam, uh, but in World War II, with the Germans and Nazis and all that kind of stuff, I think I could have served in, Viet- in World War II, and I think I would, could have been involved in a shooting war, but I would have counted it all as sin, but the worst sin was doing nothing in face of Nazism. Mm. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous uh, Christian, complete, total pacifist, don't hurt anybody anytime, ended up being involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler right. and, and lost his life because of that. Right. Uh, and he did it for the same reason that I would have served in World War II, that the, it was the lesser of two evils. I'm a conflicting absolutist. I think that in this world, sinful world, there are things where you have, there is no sinless option available. Watching a show recently where the hero of the story is presented with uh, the lesser of two evils. Yeah. They said, which one are you going to choose? And he said, well, when there's two evils to choose from, I choose none. And I'm like, that is not realistic. You can't do that. Right. And you're, you're in, making a choice at yes. that spot. Yes. You're saying, I'm not going to choose. Actually, you're choosing, you're choosing not to do anything, which in many cases is worse than either of the actions. Right. So that's what, uh, in today's world, military, and this is where it becomes a personal decision. I don't think there is one answer that fits all. Uh, I know people who believe in submission to authority, and they believe that the United States Army, on the whole, is serving better interests because we're going against... Uh, you know, the stuff in Afghanistan, for example, what the Taliban is doing there. Uh, I have friends that are involved in the war in that part of the world, committed Christians, and they believe that they're actually serving the cause of God by trying to stop the totalitarianism of the Taliban. And they say, you know, I believe I can do that because I'm serving cause of justice, and at the same time, I'm going to be involved in killing people and I'm going to have to confess, God, I did this sin, but I did I, in following what I believe is the greater good. Uh, that's a difficult place to be. Right. And others say, no, just war means as long as I'm serving under the government that I can do it and it's not sin. I just disagree with that. I think to kill another human being is always sin. Even though it may be the right thing to do, it's not the sinless thing to do. And that's where I look for forgiveness in Jesus What you're saying Christ. is deep. Yeah. And that's, and that's where people come to different conclusions based on that. But I would say, uncomplicated, can a committed Christian serve in the military? And my answer is yes. But there be committed Christians who cannot serve in the military uh, because how I balance out submission to authority, serving the cause of the emperor, and also following cause of Jesus, we're going to put those dots together in different ways. Mm. I'm an old man. It's not a personal issue, but my son, Don, and my sort of son, Christopher, both served in the your military. Your sort of son? My sort of son. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Sort your, of son. your son, Don, and yeah. then your sort of son. No, not sort of. Sort of. Sort of. S-O-R-T-A. Sort okay. of son. Okay. Christopher. Okay. What's a sort of son? We well, got to stop right there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> am I your student or am I your sort of student? No, uh, no I, you're a real student. Okay. You pay real money to be okay. in my class. All right, yeah. okay. Somebody does. No, Christopher is a sort of son because he was a throwaway kid. And he was my younger son, David's good friend at junior high. And he was literally a throwaway kid. Okay. Uh, he would be thrown out of the house and he was just on his own. You know, 15-year-old kid. And David brought him home. Great. And when we found out who was gone, we just said, Christopher, anytime you get thrown out, and he's thrown out because he's an inconvenient kid, not because he's a bad kid. And there's a whole story behind that. We said, anytime you need a place to stay, you can always stay at our house. Mm. 
and he did quite a number of times. And then stuff happened. He ended up moving in with us. He lived us for a couple of years, became a Christian in the process. And one day we're, how, what do I call you, Christopher? And he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a son. And okay, sort of son. There it is. So he's a sort of son. And his now wife, Johnette, came to Christ. And they've got, two, so I've got two sort of grandkids. Uh, Ian and Katie Oh my Beth. goodness. Yeah, I mean. I've yeah. heard you say we collect kids. We do. That's what I've heard you say. Because yeah. you, yeah. you have your biological son. You have your. I've got your two bio sons. Two bio sons. Yeah. An adopted, adopted daughter. daughter. Christopher's a sort of son. <laughs> I've got a half a dozen uh, kids or grandkids that I'm, I'm dad or granddad to, grandpa. And then we've got about 30 bonus kids. Bonus kids. Yeah. So how does that, how does, how does this journey of being <laughs> a father, adopting kids? We only adopted one. Well, you, I, what do you call your sort of kid? You adopted the sort of kid. No, no, no. Well, no. okay. He I does guess not I have my name. The There's no okay, legal right. relation between Christopher and me. Right. There's a deep love relationship, but not, not a legal relationship. These kind of actions, behaviors, choices, this comes from your love from God. Yeah. Love from oh, God. absolutely. Right. So, as you've followed Jesus for so many years now, dedicated your life to teaching the scriptures yeah. and helping people, um, how has that journey, just quickly, when you're talking about your sort of son maybe going into the to military, or yep. how does what does that do to your view of God? Or uh, does it do anything to your view of it God? It does a lot. Okay. Uh, Christopher became a fervent follower of Jesus in our home. Uh, and then when he joined the military, he was Air Force Intelligence, uh, learning Russian. That was a good thing to do in those days. And he was a non-combatant role. Okay. But then he got sent to Iraq. Oh, wow. In the war there. And uh, I didn't know it until later. The intelligence guys don't stay in the post. They go out on, on the field. And uh, he sent us a picture one day that he had taken and he was in a Humvee out in the desert, and he took a picture. And what I noticed in the picture was the mirror on the Humvee was shattered, mm. which means a bullet had hit that thing. Mm. And I realized he is absolutely in harm's He's way. in it. But so after he got back, he didn't want to talk about what happened in Iraq because right. some hard stuff happened there. But he loved to talk about what he really wanted to do. He said, Gary, the thing that we did that we walked away proud of was not the fact we had to go kill soldiers. We did. What we walked away as proud of is we built schools for villages where their schools have been destroyed by the war. Wow. And we would go steal stuff off the post thing and everybody knew we were doing it. Nobody complained. We'd take building materials off the post. We'd go out and build. And I said, wow. what, what is that like? And he's telling me a story. He said, yeah, but first we had to go get the mines out of there. So we'd go get a minesweeper oh and goodness. get the mines off the school property so it wouldn't blow up the kids. I said, what'd you do with the mines? Oh, we'd take them out of the desert and blow them up. And he had a picture of blowing up, looked like a nuclear explosion of <laughs> mines that cleaned so I could build a school for these people. See, and that's a Jesus follower. Right. Yeah, I've got to kill some people. And I don't know <laughs> if he saw that as sin. But that was not his joy. I mean, right. he did it because it's an obedience thing for him. But his joy was building schools for people that had their schools blown up by the war. He wasn't in the mess hall beating his chest yelling, kill, yeah, kill, yeah, kill. For sure. Not. Yeah, Christopher is not a militaristic guy. But he served honorably and well, got honorable discharge, and uh, I'm really proud of him. What would you say to somebody right now who feels like they're in a lesser of two evils situation and they're feeling that guilt or shame or feeling stuck, you know, and mm -hmm. they're, they're in the lesser of two evils. You yep. know, they feel like this is not where they're supposed to, this yep. is not where, this is not the best case scenario that they're in. Yeah. 
at that point, I come honestly before God and say, I confess and name the sin. Uh, I've got a police officer friend who had to almost kill a guy one time because he was coming to kill his partner, mm. who was a, a female police officer, and he hit him really hard. And the guy went down. He was actually drowning his own blood. Wow. And my my friend rolled him over and was doing first aid and that kind of stuff. Not, not him. He thought that was the right thing to do. I would have had to confess that as sin because he injured that guy really badly. Now, again, it's the right thing to do. I would have come before Jesus that night and I would have said, Lord Jesus Christ, tonight I had to hit this guy and I, I came close to killing him because I had to stop him from killing my partner mm. and some other innocent bystanders. And I confess to you that w- that violent act was sin. And mm. I believe, Lord Jesus Christ, that you died on a cross for that sin. And I tell you, I, I, this was sin because I had to hurt a man. Mm. I sh- if there were a different situation, I could have overcome that with good somehow. But I couldn't in that situation. So, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. And based on the command of Scripture, Jesus died for that sin. Right. And that sin is provided the forgiveness is provided to the cross and i would say to him jesus christ based on your statement in scripture i quote colossians 2 13 through 15 perhaps i would say i receive your forgiveness Mm. thank you for that i get to be your kid because i want to go out and help people build schools not have to hurt people to stop them from doing violence right that's the way i'd approach it those are two perfect examples i think two great stories about the military and the police and the police department um I think that I think that would bring an answer to I I think that would bring an answer to the person yeah. who's thinking about joining the military yeah. right now. Can I be a police officer? Uh you know, that's not my call, but yes, absolutely Christians can be police officers, but it may need they may have to shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh I've talked to a police officer who did that. Short range, had to kill a guy because you're going to kill somebody else and the guy's blood spattered on him and he was dealing with major PTSD out of that. Uh, I think that's a thing a genuine Christian can do. And Christian police, or Christian military, yes, but you need to sort out yeah, sort what out. I do when I have to kill yeah. somebody and don't just ignore the question. Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about a movie that I saw that was comic book. you just book. watch movies? Is that the only thing you do? <sighs> <laughs> I need to take a break from school every now and then. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, but we were talking about a comic book movie the other day, and you said, I won't even watch that movie because of the violence. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, we're interviewing a person, friends, who is a pa- pac- pacifist. Yes. Yeah. Not passive-ist, but pacifist. pacifist. Violence is never entertainment for me. Never. Mm. And uh, I, that's why I don't go to Marvel movies, because it's, it's, inter- it's violence for entertainment, and to me, it's never entertainment. Guns are never toys. Guns are weapons, and there's certainly a legitimate place for guns, uh, but they're not toys for me, and I just can't play with guns. My oldest son is 12. A couple of years ago, I was telling him he couldn't watch a movie because it was too violent. And then he was like, Dad, if it's too violent for me, then why is it not too violent for Bingo. you? And I'm like, you know what? Go to bed, son. You know what? You just you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. Out of the smart. middle of the children comes great <laughs> wisdom, Justice. <laughs> All right, let's get to the yeah. next question here. Great answer. Uh, can Christians get remarried after divorce? This question's come in a lot. Can yeah. Christians get remarried yeah. after divorce? Now, yeah. as you're thinking about that answer, yeah. I remember being in Bible college many years ago, probably 15, 16 years ago. 
uh, 17 years ago, probably. And I'm in class and I, this is my first year following Jesus, Gary. Yep. And they're talking about how the Bible is the word of God and how we, we, we follow the teachings of Jesus. And in the middle of class, I open up the Bible and I say, Jesus right here in Matthew five or six, mm -hmm. he says, he says that you're not supposed to get remarried after you've had a divorce. Uh, uh, if you've had a divorce to get remarried is to commit adultery. And I asked that question in the middle of class yeah. and, and, and the, the professor kind of just was like, this is not what I'm talking about today. Please don't hijack my class. But <laughs> well, that guy should get fired. <laughs> <laughs> you would never do something like that. Yeah. But that yeah. I could it's see why question. somebody, yeah. that's a real question. Yeah. The, where I would begin with this thing is what's God's design for marriage. Mm. And, from Genesis to Revelation, the picture of marriage is one man, one woman, husband and wife for life. Right. Any departure from that, any sexual activity outside of that is sin. Uh, that's God's design. And I speak of that as somebody who's married 54 and a half years, and Sherry's a saint to put up with me, and we have a happy relationship. I was just kidding her before we went on the podcast here because she went out and bought a dishwasher and I was saying, happy birthday, happy Christmas, and happy anniversary. <laughs> you know, we have so much fun together, uh, and we collect kids. Uh, but when I look at that in Matthew 19, the, the uh, Pharisees are testing him. Is a lawful man for divorce his wife for any and every reason? And who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the, <laughs> they're the moral police of the day. They're right. the pastors who've got everything worked out. And... Uh, they're trying, they're trying to define exactly what, to the smallest detail, what the will of God is for your life, and then judging you because you're not doing it. Mm. They're not nice people. And so they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. It's one of these, have you stopped beating your wife questions? Anything you answer, you're going to make a whole bunch of, are you for Donald Trump or Joe Biden? You know, however you answer that question, you've got a bunch of people mad at you. Right. Uh, that's what they're doing to him. And he takes him back. Haven't you read from the beginning, God made him male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, God is joined together. Let no one separate. There it is. That's the ethic of the entire Bible about marriage. Uh, the thing of it is, though, is are there things that kill a marriage? Mm. And I think the answer is yes. And I think Jesus refers to them. First of all, he talks about adultery if somebody in a marriage gets involved in an adulterous sexual relationship with somebody other than their spouse that can kill a marriage right because the bond together can be destroyed by the betrayal that's involved in adultery now adultery doesn't necessarily kill a marriage but it can and he specifically mentions that in matthew 19 he says except for adultery i uh, and that so there's a thing that can kill a marriage and my thing is, a wedding is a legal and public recognition that these two, it's going to happen next month, Eric and Cynthia, I'm going to be a piece of their wedding. I did premarital with them yesterday, uh, and we're going to celebrate. It's going to be amazing. Shout out to Eric and Cynthia. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. September 24th, be there. No, <laughs> don't be there. But uh, yeah. So I, you know, I love what's happening there. But if, let's just say... Uh, if, say, Eric loses his heart to some other woman and is unfaithful to Cynthia and wants to have two wives, mm. that could kill the relationship. That could kill the marriage. A wedding is a recognition that Eric and Cynthia are husband and wife married. 
a divorce is a legal recognition that that marriage has been killed by sin. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the thing it is. And Jesus mentions hardness of heart and adultery here in Matthew 19 is two things that can kill a marriage. He says both. Both. Mm-hmm. Hardness of heart hardness and adultery. Of heart. Kill hardness of heart is when you get in a spot and anything you say becomes an attack. And instead of receiving something as a loving act, I receive as an attacking act and I just fight back. Mm. And there's hardness of heart that can kill a marriage. I think people leave marriages too quickly these days because I'm not happy. But I think that can kill a marriage. So I think there's a, it's never a legitimate thing to do because it's always a product of sin. Mm. Uh, but there are things that can kill a marriage. And I've mediated some divorces. Hate it. Ugh. But let's make it as painless as possible. Uh, so divorce is recognizing that uh, a marriage is dead. So if I go to Matthew 5:31, which is the passage you mentioned uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. That's Moses. But Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, adultery, pornea, makes her a victim of adultery. And I say, no, wait, wait, tell me that one more time, Jesus. I, I'm, I think I missed something there. Uh, Matthew 5, 31, read it one more time here. I, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexuality, makes, makes, her her commi- makes her commit adultery, to be literal. Makes her commit adultery. Makes her commit adultery. Okay, now I'm thinking, now this is my thing, read closely and what does it actually say? How does, if I am a man, let's follow my thing. If oh, Eric, if, I, I know, I know. You know? Because she would be getting remarried because in, who else, how else would she be able to take care of herself? And so you'd be putting in her position to have to commit adultery by getting remarried. Because she's marrying when there's a living husband. Right. So Jesus is expecting her to be remarried. Exactly. And here's the thing, who gets charged with the guilt of that adultery? She does. No. The husband who threw her out. Okay. See, that's what he says. Anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Because it's assumed that she would get remarried. Yeah. Because the context, alternative is too rough. To. You have to get remarried. Well, you can't. In that society, a woman can't live alone. Right, 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 right. So, uh, so Jesus is saying. He's expecting her to be remarried, and he's charging the husband who threw her out of the guilt of that sin. Right. Now, she's committing sin in a certain level because she is committing adultery. But the guilt of that goes on the husband who threw her out. Fascinating. In that context, I think. And that's the one that most people think, well, there it is. Jesus said in so many words, if you get remarried, it's adultery. When one sense is true, there's a living husband, but Jesus is expecting her to be remarried. Interesting. So where I come at this, and I've done several weddings now where there's prior marriages, and what I do is, is the marriage really dead? Right. Is, is the, the former marriage Is the really marriage dead? dead? Mm-hmm. There's, it's the point of no return. Yep. Uh, and then has the person, the divorced person, have they done the healing work? Because divorce always traumatizes. When you break that bond, it's like tearing your arm off. Right. Have you really done the healing work? Are you back up to where you can be a, a non-traumatized person? And then have you grown to the spot where you can be a giving person? Because marriage is always about giving. It's not about getting. Uh, so Eric and Cynthia, they're, they're so 
excited to give to each other. It's amazing. <laughs> they're both finding their needs being met because everyone's so eager to meet those right. needs. Well, it's a good marriage. They're going to have a great marriage. Uh, but when you get to that spot, you've got to, to be married, you've got to be a spot where you've got basic emotional health and spiritual health and you're a giving person. You, you, you've got stuff to give to your, your spouse. So I believe that you can do a remarriage but it's never the way God designed it to be. Because mm. God's design is always one man, one woman. In some ways, it's kind of similar to the military question. It is. It is. And what I'm doing is I'm putting people back as close as I can toward grace. But so for a woman in, that, in today's world, for a woman to live alone with a small child is, I just Challenge. try it. Try it. For a, a man to live alone as with a small child, it, we're designed for partnership. Mm. And when God says, uh, when Jesus says that God hates divorce, He doesn't say that. Oh, He doesn't. No, that's that's a that there's a that's Malachi chapter three, chapter two, and if you look in King James and some other things, it says at two sixteen uh, that God hates divorce. It's poetry, and both the English Standard Version and the New International Version. Here we go, two guys. Standard. Hold on, hold on. We're going deep. Yeah, Wait, hold on. Two hold standard on, hold on, translations. Hold on, hold on. Go, go to your settings on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go to the tempo and change it to half speed. Yeah. Because we we're going Malachi, guys, and we're going to the poetic. Okay, it's it's in, poetry. It's in Hebrew the poetry. literary genre of poetry. Yeah. So you're reading poetry. Yep. And then the word in Hebrew. And anytime you translate poetry, it's going to be difficult. Okay. Okay. So. The King James and Southerners say, "I God hates divorce." Okay, in that possible translation, but here's the translation: this English Standard Version: For the man who does not love his wife but divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Hmm. <laughs> There's no hate divorce in there. The man who does not love his wife, so that's hates his wife, but divorces her says the Lord the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence. That's the most accurate translation. Well, it's poetry. Okay. And I think this is the better translation. If you read God's hates divorce in context, it's the man who divorces the wife of his youth and mm -hmm. get a cuter, younger girl. Mm -hmm. God hates that divorce. Mm -hmm. But we generalize it and make it God Which hates makes all divorce. Sense. The question I was asking, you could turn the playback speed back to regular because now I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I think I think I have always read that is that, you know, just like how every marriage, well, not every marriage, most marriage ceremonies end with what God brings together, no, no, yeah. no man take apart. That's right from Jesus. And and you're getting this idea that, like, this is going to be the, mo divorce is the most painful thing. Like, my, my, so when it says God hates divorce, you know, or when you're getting, when you're drawing that conclusion from, from what he's saying that's there, a possible translation of the Malachi 2.16. I'm hearing God's heartbreak for somebody who's going through Bingo. that. Bingo. Yes, that's true. That's exact, and that's what the English Standard Version translation is saying: that this is a violent thing, and God hates people who use violence. In those it, it feels violent. When yeah. I was two years old, my parents got divorced. Oh yeah, and um, that was the most. I, it was traumatic for me at two and a half, three, you know, almost three yeah. years old. I remember that. Like I remember that's like the, my earliest memory is like going to my dad's new house and like throwing a fit and like yep. going. Th it felt like my little life was being torn apart. Yep. Now. The crazy thing about yep. that short version of the story is that my sister moved here to California to be an actress and my mom followed her out here to help. And my dad was still in Texas and I'm kind of 
living with my sister and my mom, my dad kind of going. And, um, and my sister started sending back cassette tapes. So you remember how like oh, in churches oh, yeah. when they would record? Yeah. So, so this is not ancient memory for me. I'm an old man. Cassette tapes for those of you that are <laughs> tuning in. This is pre-DVD, pre-CD, yeah. pre-mini disc. This, yeah. is, this is, you know, a little after eight track. We got, we got cassette players. They would, the end of the sermon, they would have cassettes ready in the yeah. lobby for you to take home with you of the sermon. duplicators and all those things. Right, right, right. And so my sister who was a follower of Jesus was mailing the cassettes, Gary, to my dad and my mom. And my dad would listen to the cassettes, uh, pastor Jack Hayford, the church on the way, the church I grew up in. And, uh, and he was so convicted and he came to a a moment of rededicating his life to Christ through those cassette tapes (laughs) and moved, they moved back to California. They moved in, he moved to California. They moved in together and my parents got remarried. Praise God. And, that's God, God saying, hey, listen, yep. I hate divorce because I hate what you're going through, Justice. I hate what you're going through, Roy. I hate what you're going through, Jenny. And he brings the family. Yep. The Holy Spirit brings the family God. back together. So they got remarried. Yep. How wild is that? They went I've, divorced I've done, and remarried. I've done two remarriages. Last month yeah. was the yeah. third remarriage we've done at Freedom. Yes. The third one where, where, <laughs> yeah. where this couple, they ran into each other in the mall. And hey, how have you been? I haven't seen you in two and a half years. We've been divorced. <laughs> I'm going to this new church. Oh, cool, cool, cool. She could, and then she's thinking to herself, oh, crap, that's the church I've been listening to the podcast of. <laughs> so he goes in person and I listen online. And uh, and then they start going. She starts showing up in person. Right. Maybe she's going to one service. He's going to the other. Maybe she's sitting on the left side of the sanctuary. He's sitting on the right. But slowly they start moving closer together. Yeah. And after going to church together for like six months, my mother and father-in-law officiated their wedding last month. They went through all sorts of counseling. Um, yeah, I did. I did a, a, a officiate a wedding of a couple that did divorce twelve years. And so, anyways, if you're watching this and you ask this question about getting remarried, I think Gary and I would both want to just take a moment and say, like, hey, nothing's impossible with God. Right. Nothing's impossible with yeah. God. And the key is is what happened. You talked about is your dad was listening to the word of God, was mm-hmm. convicted of sin, but in a hopeful kind of way. I'm not trash. I can be redeemed to the power of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And he was responsive to that. That's the key mm-hmm. is yes, I screwed up bad, yeah. but God's not throwing me away yet. He's saying, come, I can help. And the spirit can heal. And I love those stories of yeah. redemption. Well, that's, that's kind of my prayer every week. God, I screwed up so bad. <laughs> Thank you that I'm not trash in your Amen. eyes. Yeah. Cause man, there I go again. Thank you, Lord. So, <laughs> Uh, how would you summarize that? Talk to the person for a moment, Gary, who's saying, hey, I'm in this marriage and um, I feel like it's dead. And then talk to the person that's been divorced, but they're in love with somebody and they're thinking, is this okay? Yeah. The person is in a marriage and it's hell on wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thing that I do at that spot is let's look for any point of hope and build a hope's case. Because this is so painful, I want out. Right. It's, that does not solve problems. It actually makes them worse. Mm. I'm speaking as a pastor, done quite a bit of this stuff. Now, sometimes divorce is the way to go because the marriage really is dead and you just cannot be together without going into a, a total tyrant fight. And there are dead marriages, mm-hmm. without a doubt, and then divorces. It's just recognition that the city is dead. And we didn't touch on like domestic violence. Well, that's, that can kill a marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the hardness of heart. I, but if you're in a marriage where there's a spark of life, let's try to spark that mm. because 
there is God can work healingly, but the thing is, I've got to own up. Not He's a blankety blank, but I'm a blankety blank. But with God's help, I can grow and heal, mm. and try to build a hope that's there. Um, and I think that's I think that's a goal to have. But if your marriage really is dead, admit it's dead. Do the divorce. Get somebody to do mediation so you don't pay lawyers tens of thousands of dollars to write letters back and forth. I. Uh, Take care of your kids because it's going, like you said, it's really hard on the kids. I, you know, when I sit down with couples, you know, uh, for, for marriage counseling, a lot of times there's one's fighting with the other right in front of me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I, I just sit back and I kind of like just, I kind of like have a little bit of hope. And they're like, why are you, why do you have hope, Justice? And I'm like, because I'm seeing the hope because you actually still care about yes. each other. Yes. It's the marriages where I sit yes. there and they're like, I don't care. I don't know. Whatever. And whatever. It's like, oh, the marriage is already dead. Yeah. There's well, a little bit of life here. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't be fighting. Yeah. And maybe you're fighting with each other, but this could be around. You could start fighting for each other. Exactly. This, this can happen. God can make that change if you're willing to say, yeah, I'm screw up too. What would you say to the person who um, is trying to, who's in love with somebody and they, they went through an awful marriage and their heart's gone through the wood chipper yep. and now they're trying to. You know, it might be easier for them just to shack up and live with that person no, and not get married. No, that's no, no, no. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. That's that's maybe she, maybe he or she has a, a kid and they're like, I'm just going to move in and try it out and just see if maybe this because yeah. I don't want to get remarried. You know, I, I don't. Jesus says not to get remarried, you commit adultery. So I'm just going to live with this person, and not be married. This is the kind of stuff that people think. Gary. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, you're not talking about <laughs> hypothetical. I I put names on those things, and then let's move in together and share expenses. Yep. Is a formula for disaster. I mean, the sociology is really clear. Another thing not to do is to do a quick marriage after divorce because I'm hurting so bad, I'm mm. lonely, I need somebody in my life. It's guaranteed 90% of the time you're back in the same patterns again. If you're a product of divorce, the first thing to do is do the healing of the trauma and mm. deal with the pain that comes through a divorce. And that's a hard thing to do because the pain doesn't stop when you get divorced. Uh, there's always stuff falling up. But... Do your healing work, and the power of God can bring deep healing to people's lives. Uh, so get back to where you're dealing with the trauma, so you're not reacting. You're dealing out of reactivity. Get to the spot where you're strong enough that you can actually respond with a level of spiritual and emotional health. But that takes some time. But I'm so lonely. Yeah, I know. Get some friends. Don't get married. Yeah. I. Uh, and then after you've got that spot and the Holy Spirit begins to work, you get a good counselor, you get some group of friends around to support you, and you get to the spot where you can be a giving person, then there's certainly the possibility of remarriage. But get some really wise help to do mm -hmm. that so you don't just fall in the same patterns again and for sure get Jesus in the middle of that relationship. Yeah, don't. and I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. Uh, don't marry somebody who's not a Christian, okay? <laughs> it's a really bad idea. A, listen, get... Yeah. get Think about a scenario where this potential spouse actually wants to meet with your pastor. Yeah. And he wants to be under some authority. And actually, he wants to say, hey, do, do you, pastor, think I'm ready to marry this woman or marry this man? Because that that kind of yep. uh, affirmation of how you're doing, you need perspective. Yes. When you're, when you're going through a healing process, you need someone to say, like, no, you're ready now. And how good are you going to feel? When you have somebody saying, you know what, you've done the work, you're yeah. ready. Don't you want to be in that kind yeah. of place? Remember, love means how much I give to somebody. Love doesn't mean how much they make go ding. Preach. You know? Yeah. Hey, why don't we just do this? You know, we've done this a number of times on the podcast. Why don't you look at that camera right there, and why don't you just pray for the brokenhearted yeah. before yes. we conclude? Yeah. 
Lord, I do pray for the brokenhearted. Lord, I've, there are names and faces that come up immediately in my memory, and you know far more than I do. I am compassion hurt with the hurting. But Lord Jesus, you are far more compassionate than I could ever even pretend to be. So I think of this person who's watching this right now or listening to this right now who's thinking there's no hope. There is hope. Lord Jesus Christ, will you in, intercede? Will you invade that hope? hopelessness that comes from the enemy and bring your healing touch your compassionate presence in that life holy spirit show the ways where hope and healing can happen you are the one who is a restorer of broken things you're the one who wants to restore the years that the grasshoppers have stolen mm. i pray that, that hope will come through and people will say yes there is hope in jesus and i'm willing to go there even though it doesn't seem very bright to me right now Work your Holy Spirit presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great episode. Thank you, sir. Yeah.